0: All right, let's take our Bibles this evening and open to 2 Timothy chapter 3. We'll have a few different portions of Scripture we'll be looking at this evening. 2 Timothy chapter 3 is where we're going to be at. Mr. Chapman, am I on there? come on. Green light's on. Alright. All right. I'll let them work on, there we go, I'll let you work on that. Um, So, last week we played a little bit of ping pong after the evening service down in the fellowship hall, and I played a young man who is impressive in his abilities, which is the only reason why I lost to him. I think, uh, Carson, how old are you? Twelve. All right. I didn't go down without a fight, though, I'll tell you that. Gave it my all. And now Jeff says his goal is for all of his children to beat me one at a time. So anyway, that's what we look to accomplish over the next couple of months. I'm looking forward to the youth activity tonight. I'm not going to be able to be there for it, but uh, here you all are going to have some Nerf wars. So uh, Mr. Strickard is staying. He has a surprise. But I'm not going to give away your surprise, Todd. Don't worry about that. All right. So last week, you should have a handout. Um there's a handout for tonight uh, that you should have received maybe you brought your booklet back with you they're set up that way intentionally in a three ring binder sort of way so that you can just put the next one in each week and after 10 weeks you'll have everything that we've looked at together you'll be able to go back i hope uh i'm keeping it pretty simple uh, for those of you who maybe been saved for a long period of time We do have a wide range of uh, folks with us and uh, folks who have been saved for a long time and others who have been saved not that long at all. And so I want to make it practical uh, for each person who is here. Last week, we saw that the author of the Bible is God. Now, remember, there are 40 different penmen that penned down the 66 books of the Bible, 40 different penmen, and they did it over a period of 1,600 years uh, so, uh, about a hundred years after Christ, about 90 or 95 AD, would have been the book of Revelation was finally finished, uh, John, and then uh, 1,600 years approximately before that, uh, we have the oldest books in the Bible that were being penned down then. Uh, we also see that uh, last week we saw that the purpose for God's word is twofold. And uh, if you weren't here last week, but you got the handout from last week. You might be able to fill in a couple of these blanks. The the purpose for God's word is twofold. One was to reveal God who he is uh, through mankind, uh, to mankind, I should say, and then to redeem mankind. And that is the purpose for the word of God. And God wants us to know him. He wants uh, his people. uh, He wants all people to be saved. And the procedure of God breathing out his word to mankind is called inspiration. Can anybody define for me inspiration? We learned it last week. Maybe you already knew it before last week. What does, yes, Tyler? God breathe. God breathe. And now we won't do the Peter Piper pick. We won't do that again. We'll never do that again, hopefully. But uh, that's right. God breathe. That's the word inspiration. You see it in 2 Timothy chapter 3, where all scripture is given by inspiration of God. So the penmen of the Word of God were not inspired in the sense of uh, like we get inspired on a sunny, warm spring day to go out there and do some yard work. No, they were inspired in that God breathed out His words to them. Uh, first or Second Peter talks about that in chapter one. That holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Uh, so. And by this special revelation, God breathed out the very words that he wants us to have. Shilin, are you here? There you are. Can you come up here for me? I need you to read a passage of scripture. Bring your Bible. Psalm 138. Okay? Psalm 138. And Mr. Chapman, we're going to need the pulpit mic here. I'm going to have Shilin read from, uh, from this. There. That's exciting. I actually felt that. Phew. All right. Psalm 138 and verse number two. And do you want to stand over there behind that mic? I know you do. All right. Psalm 138, verse two. Shilin, would you read it, please? I will worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth, for thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. Wow. Can you read that last part again? For thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. All right, thank you. I promise I won't embarrass you again tonight. Next week may be different. (laughs) Yes, that's right. How's the, the love emails coming? Anything with that? All right. All right. What an amazing psalm. Did you notice the end part? I had to read it twice. It's in your handout. Thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. That is an amazing, an amazing statement. God says that he. And, and he is particular about his name and how we use his name, but he magnifies his word above all his name. He has wonderful names. Um wonderful names. We've studied those names, uh, some of them. And yet God magnifies his words above all of his names. God is magnifying his words. The integrity and the truth of God's word is of even greater importance to God than his own exalted name. We talked about this morning at what our desire should be. We ought to have this uh, really a, a craving and a hungering for the word of God, something that we ought to have as God's children. Uh, We talked about how that can be choked out. We have to be careful of that. We ought to desire the word of God, but as newborn babes, right? Desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may be able to grow thereby. So it's amazing to me how, what an importance God places upon his word. Now we have a clicker here. Let's get going. Number one, Uh, We believe in the purity of God's word. The Bible teaches this, and that's why we believe it. But we believe in the purity of God's word. Um, In Psalm 12, in verse 6, the Bible says, The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. In verse 7 of that same psalm, it says, Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. I want you to know something. When we talk about we believe in the purity of God's word, we believe that it is pure. We believe that it is perfect. Psalm 19, verse 7 says the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. So we believe in the purity of God's word. Letter A, uh, we talked about inspiration. And there it is. God breathed. God breathed. That's what it means. And um, we we talked about how it's almost impossible to speak without there being some breath. God breathed out his words to holy men of God. And I I want to emphasize that the words, the words are very important. It doesn't say that God breathed out ideas. He could have done that. He could have uh, he could have moved in David's heart. As a shepherd with some ideas and and left it up to David to write whatever came to David's mind or maybe Moses. He could have done that with Moses, too. I'm glad that God breathed out his words. There is a lot of detail in the Bible. It's amazingly accurate. Um, uh, Unhumanly accurate. I don't know if that's a word, but not written by men. They're the words of God breathed out by God. God didn't breathe out just his thoughts. He didn't breathe out just philosophy and leave it up to, to men to fill in the blank, and to form religion, uh, Judaism, or um, uh, Christianity as we might know it, as it has been warped in the day in which we live. No, that's not how God gave his word. He breathed out his words. God's word is pure because it has a perfect author. Uh, letter B, the word is in, inerrant, inerrant. And the word inerrant means without error, without error. Now, if you were to write a book, would there be errors? Yes or no? Yeah, if we wrote a book, there'd be errors. I'm not even talking about the grammatical ones. I'm, I'm just talking about ideas. There probably would be some conflicts. I mean, one guy writes a book and he has conflicts within his own book. Ideas that are conflicting one with one another. But, but with the Lord, his words are inerrant or without error. There are no errors in God's word. He never has misspoken. He's never exaggerated. And he's never failed to communicate the truth. Uh, Letter C, God's God's words are sacred and they are not to be changed. They're not to be changed. Let's see here. Jack, do you have your Bible? Can you come up and read a passage for me? Deuteronomy chapter 4. You can go right up to the pulpit, buddy. Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 2. See here, I need another volunteer. Let's see here. Some of you are looking at me, you're shrinking down into your seats. Um, Carson, I see you. Bring your Bible. This is for beating me in ping pong. I'll have you read Revelation chapter 22, okay? Revelation chapter 22. So you make your way up just as soon as you can. Excuse me, Jack, would you read Deuteronomy? chapter 4 and verse 2, and I want, as he, he reads this passage, I want you to remember the statement on the screen, God's words are sacred and are not to be changed. Go ahead, Jack. Ye shall not add unto the word which I command you, neither shall ye diminish aught from it, that ye may keep the commandments of the Lord your God which I command you. Thank you, Jack. Uh, in Proverbs chapter 30 and verse 5, as Carson comes, the Bible says, every word of God is pure, He is a shield unto them that put their trust in him. Add thou not unto his words, lest he reprove thee, and thou be found a liar. Now, Revelation chapter 22 and verse 19. This is specifically about the book of Revelation, but the principle can be applied to Scripture as a whole. Go ahead. Revelation 22, verse 19. Carson, thank you. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life, and out of the holy city from, from the things which are written in his, this book. Very good. Good job. Uh, those are pretty serious words, aren't they? And the idea is not of someone losing salvation. The idea is someone who's saved is going to value this book and they're not going to touch it. They're not going to mess with it. They're not going to take away from it. and They're not going to add to it. So Rome, number one was we believe in the purity of God's word. Number two, we believe in the preservation of God's word. We believe in the preservation of God's word. In Psalm 119 and verse 89, the, B- the Bible says forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. we talked about that forever. Last week, we touched on this a little bit. Um, it's eternal. The words of God are eternal, existing in heaven before they were written. God molding men. To the point where they were the ones penning down, uh, coming so in tune with God, so in line with God that they're actually penning down what is already recorded eternally. And they can never be, they can never be lost. They can never be misplaced. God has promised to preserve his word. In Matthew chapter 24 and verse 35, the Bible says, Jesus said this, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. I'm going to say that again. Listen for the plural. My words shall not pass away. My words shall not pass away. So God's promise to preserve his word. Letter A, we believe that God not only inspired the Bible, but that he has also preserved it. He has also preserved it. We know that God gave all scripture by inspiration without error in the original autographs. But sometimes there's a question, well, has he preserved it? Has he preserved it? If we use something a lot, what happens to it? It wears out. Um, isn't that sad when you have your like your favorite pair of shoes and they finally wear out? The most comfortable things ever. Finally, they just wear out. You can't wear them anymore. They're embarrassing. Your wife says, I'm embarrassed to be seen with you wearing those shoes or whatever it may be. Um, when, when you use something a lot, it wears out. Well, remember when the Word of God was given over a 1600 year period of time, 1,600 years, 40 different penmen, they didn't have uh, computers. I almost said typewriters. They didn't have those either. But they didn't have word processors, they didn't have computers. Uh, So it wasn't a matter of typing it out, they wrote it out. Uh, The Hebrew language was used, Aramaic was used. A little bit in the Old Testament Greek was the primary language that was used in the New Testament and these men um, their their language skills were different by the way and that's reflected John's language skills were fairly basic others had more complex uh, the way they would pen things down so their personality is seen and yet uh, God's Word clearly came through in the process but these individuals, they would have penned the, these things down using ink and a quill, um, using different kind of scroll-like materials. And that meant there was how many copies? One. So um, I don't know how long it took Moses to write down Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. They got all the names right. Um, the Apostle Paul writing much of the New Testament in the Pauline epistles and the pastoral epistles. Um, and then you have different, different penmen using with their different abilities and skills, but there's one. So what would happen is they would make copies. They would make copies of the originals. And those copies would begin to circulate and more copies would be made and those would begin to circulate. Not all of the copies were accurate. Some of them needed to be destroyed. Some were destroyed. Other copies that were deemed to be accurate were circulated. And those copies would be used. Uh, Pastors uh, would would have all that only what they had. They didn't have the entire word of God like you and I have it today. All 66 books of the Bible, 39 books of the Old Testament, 27 books of the New Testament. They didn't have all of that. And they would use what they had and they would wear it out. But before they would wear it out, they would seek to make copies and certain individuals would make copies. So copies of copies were made. And if we use something a lot, it wears out. But God has kept his promise to preserve his word by preserving it in the traditional Hebrew and Greek manuscripts. Uh, Letter B, we believe that God has has preserved his word even in translation. And I put in parentheses there, I hope you got in your handout, not only in the English language. Um, and this is amazing. Um, there are people all around the world. How many languages are in the world that are represented? I, I don't know how many languages are spoken in the world. There are some languages that do not have a copy of the word of God in their language. But there are many languages in the world and they have a copy of the word of God in their language. Uh, and God has preserved his word even in translation. Now, I want to make a couple of comments here because we believe that the King James translation is a wonderful and accurate translation of the preserved Word of God in the English language. Uh, we can hold our copy of Scripture with confidence, knowing that it shows forth the inspired, inerrant, and infallible words of God. But, and I put it in your notes, we do not believe in double inspiration. This is important. Nope, nope. You know you can't get ahead, Mrs. Jennings. I saw that. I tried to. Yes, I did. Did I say the word already? Oh. all right. But we do not believe in the, in in the uh, in double inspiration. What is double inspiration? Well, inspiration is God breathed. God breathed out His word to holy men of God. They recorded what He gave to them. Um. Double inspiration taught regarding the King James translation that in 1611, that those men who worked on that translation were inspired again or re-inspired. In other words, that God breathed out his word again in the English language to those men. The Bible does not teach that. Uh, There are some people who teach that. That is not the case. I do think. Whenever there is an accurate translation of the Bible into any language, it is an incredible work of God. It is a great blessing. It is by the grace and mercy of God. And God uses intelligent, well-studied men and women who have amazing abilities with language to do that. It is uh, an incredible feat to look at the Greek language and translate from Greek into English or into Spanish or into whatever language there is, the word of God, that is an amazing capability. And so whenever an accurate translation is made from the Hebrew and Aramaic or from the Greek in the New Testament into a language, it is an amazing thing. But it is not double inspiration. Okay, It is not re-inspiration. Inspiration took place one time. And that was in the originals, okay? So I wanted to make sure that we are clear on that. All right, Mrs. Jennings, we're moving along. Letter C, we believe in the indestructibility of the Bible. We believe in the indestructibility of the Bible. Um, I wrote down some notes here. I did not include it in your handout, but in A.D. 303, a Roman emperor by the name of Diocletian, he issued an edict that all Bibles there in the Roman Empire, be destroyed. He had been told that if he could destroy the Bible, then he could destroy Christianity. Now, he, and using his soldiers, they destroyed every Bible that they could get hands on. And during the Diocletian's reign, they murdered uh, thousands upon thousands upon thousands of Christians. It, they, believing in Christ was a crime. It was outlawed and Christians were were murdered by the thousands and thousands. Um, He raised a column with an inscription in Latin which read Extincto Nomine Christianorum, which means the name of Christian is extinguished. So after burning the copies of the word of God, after killing Christians by the thousands, he declares the name of Christian is extinguished. Uh, but the churches grew people continued to believe upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and copies of, upon copies of the bible were made isaiah 40 in verse 8 says the grass withereth the grass withereth the flower fadeth but the word of our god shall stand forever the the bible is indestructible Uh, Men throughout history, different men have tried to stamp it out, have tried to destroy it, and they have been unsuccessful. Over 1,400 years after Diocletian, a French atheist by the name of Voltaire boasted, quote, 100 years from my day, there will not be a Bible in the earth except one that is looked upon by an uh, antiquarian curiosity seeker or someone in a museum. Uh, Only 20 years after Voltaire's death, the Geneva Bible Society purchased his house for the printing of Bibles. Uh, His house later became the Paris headquarters for the British and the Foreign Bible Society, which stored and distributed Bibles throughout Europe. I like that irony. In Matthew 5 and verse 18, the Bible says, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. And I put that in your notes with some um, some words to help you understand a jot and a tittle. So if even the, the jots and tittles of the word of God will be fulfilled, of how much greater importance must the very words which have been inspired and preserved by God? So ideas are important. They're very important. But without the right words, the ideas are easily changed. So God has preserved his word. Number three, and finally this evening, we believe in the power of God's word. We believe in the power of God's word. Letter A says, God's word is like a crushing hammer. God's word is like a crushing hammer. I forgot my sword tonight. I meant to bring my sword. You know, I was thinking about some things I could bring, and I thought I could bring a sword. I can bring a sledgehammer. I thought about Jeff having to come up here and, like, beat on something, you know. Uh, not on me, no. Something else, you know. Uh, but then there's fire involved, too, that the word of God is likened to. So I thought, probably not a good idea. Uh, Jeremiah 23 and verse 29 says, Is not my word like as a fire, set the Lord, and like a hammer that breaketh the rock in pieces? I love that passage of scripture like a fire. It purifies things like a like a hammer that can crush rock. You know, this this ought to be an encouragement to us as well. Uh, some of us have relatives and, and neighbors and co-workers that we love and we're concerned for. And uh, we might say, you know what? They have a hard heart. Their, their heart is like a rock or like a stone. They have a stiff neck. And you know what? They're. Um, I don't ever see them getting saved. I, my wife will, will give testimony to how her parents got saved. Cindy was living when her parents trusted Christ. And uh, my father-in-law, I don't think he would have called himself an atheist, but when the pastor inquired to my mother-in-law, he said, I'd like to meet your husband. I'd like to talk to him about the Lord. And uh, my mother-in-law told the pastor, oh, don't waste your time. Don't bother. Don't waste your time. Even she thought there's no way that Paul is ever going to trust in Christ. But over a period of time, the word of God, little by little, little by little, began to work away on his hard heart to the point where finally he came to trust the Lord Jesus Christ as his personal savior. And uh, and some of us, that was us. Some of us maybe maybe had a more tender heart, at least from the outside looking in. Uh, maybe a young a young child. But ultimately, there's some in this room and you might you could probably give testimony about how you were you wanted nothing to do with Christianity. You didn't believe the Bible. You didn't believe in creation. You didn't believe in God. And yet the word of God over time, little by little by little, began to break down that heart of stone and God's word. It is like a fire and it is like a hammer that breaketh the rock in pieces. So the preaching of the word of God is effectual and powerful. And by the way, that is why it's so important to put ourselves under the word of God. There are times in our lives where we're not living obediently. Um, and sometimes we might have the attitude, well, you know what, if I'm not living obediently, you know what, I shouldn't go to church. I shouldn't. Uh, I sh- I, you know God's not speaking to me. I would dare say this when you're struggling, that's when you need to be there as much as ever. You need to put yourself under the word of God. I need to put myself under the word of God because of this reason. God's word does purify. And God's word is like a hammer and it breaks the rock in pieces. Um, Letter B, God's word is a probing instrument. God's word is a probing instrument. In Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12, the Bible says, for the word of God is quick And powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. That is is also an amazing portion of scripture. Look at it. I put it in your notes. The word of God, quick, powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. It reveals who we really are of the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of our hearts. You know, there are times where we don't even know what to think. You ever been there? You're not even sure what you're thinking. Your thoughts are all over the place. Uh, Maybe uh, thoughts of fear, um, maybe thoughts of anxiety or, or covetousness, and your thoughts are all over the place. Sometimes we'll say, you know what, this is what I'm thinking But actually, you find out that isn't actually what you were thinking at all. These were the things that were underlying those thoughts. They were underlying motives. And the word of God is like that sword. By the way, the sword of the spirit. And God uses it in our lives. And he actually reveals uh, to us who we are, what our thinking really is, what our motivations are, why they're right or why they're wrong. So the word of God is a probing instrument. Letter C, God's word is like uh, uh, God's word. Let's see. Letter C. God's word is faith giving or it gives faith in Romans 10 and verse 17. The Bible says, so then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. I ask you the question in your notes. Do you lack faith? Do you lack faith. You find that you're you struggle to trust God. You find yourself overwhelmed with fear or anxiety. You find yourself overwhelmed with anger. Anger is is a form of not trusting the Lord. And he tells us, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Um, Doubts and fears and anger and all kinds of emotions can reveal to us that we actually lack faith. Well, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The word of God produces faith. And faith, taking God at his word, changes a life. It, it can save a soul from death and hell. It can take a man uh, who is once disobedient, and it can make him an obedient, profitable servant of his. The word of God does this. The word of God does this. So God's word gives faith. And, and we looked at it this morning, but 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 23 literally says, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. God's word produces faith. If you have a lost loved one and you're concerned for them, I would encourage you don't get into debates. Um, Look for opportunity to speak the word of God. If you write a letter or a note, uh, you might include it. I'm not saying use it. Um, It is a weapon, but I'm not saying to use it in an abusive way. Okay, this is not a matter of us showing off our Bible knowledge skills with an unsaved relative. But what I am saying is the word of God produces faith. They can't be saved without faith. The word of God produces faith. And this, too, again, a great a number of parents in this room with children in the home. Um, give your children the word of God. When, when your children ask questions of you. Um, sometimes it's easy for us just to give an answer because I said so, because that's the way it is. That's not what we ought to do. Look for opportunity to use the word of God. Ask questions of your children. Say, well, what does the Bible say in this passage? And you'll find if you're involved in a WANA or involved in Sunday school, or maybe your child goes to a Christian school or they're homeschooled, they know a lot of the Bible. It's uh, Parenting is really us helping our children Take what they know over here, the knowledge that they know, and make application to their lives, to their questions, to the situations of life that, where they find themselves. Uh, grandparents, you can do that as well. Now, with children, I think I'm going to say this. It needs to be said. Uh, we can preach at them at nauseum. That's not what I'm saying to do. Don't trap them. Don't corner them. But when the questions come, give answers and use the word of God. Use the word of God. We don't use it enough. Um, letter D, God's word is a defensive weapon. God's word is a defensive weapon. Ephesians 6 in verse 17 says, And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. It is a d- defensive weapon. The The word here is rhema, and it refers to a specific message from God's word that was spoken. A specific message from God's word that was preached. I've told you before, Lagos refers to the word as a whole. Rama more a specific message, like the gospel. Or, or some other specific message that's drawn out of the word of God. When we receive the word of God as it's preached and taught, the Bible protects us. Um, how many of us like protection? like protection? Some of you might have um, security cameras around your house. Maybe you have a large animal a large attack cat or something like that uh, to fend off intruders. Um, We have different kinds of uh, mindsets of how we can protect ourselves. Well, the the greatest way that you or I can protect ourselves is the word of God. The word of God, it protects. Um, Letter E, God's word is infallible. God's word is infallible, which means that God's word cannot fail. God's word cannot fail. Um, In Isaiah 55, verse 11, the Bible says, So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. I'll ask you to open your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 3. We'll end here. We started with 2 Timothy chapter 3 yesterday, or last week, not yesterday, last Sunday. 2 Timothy chapter 3. In verse number 16, the Bible says this, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. So now what is the Bible profitable for? Now the verse tells us, it actually gives us four ways in which the Word of God is profitable. Uh, The first way it gives is doctrine, profitable for doctrine. The word doctrine means simply teaching. But unlike teaching, there's a lot of teaching and instruction that's out there, right? I mean, um, if you were to Google um, what is the truth about, you'd get get both sides. You get all kinds of variety as far as what's the truth on whatever matter you Googled and entered in. But doctrine in the Bible is right teaching. And doctrine means it tells us what is right. Doctrine tells us what is right. Uh, Look there, too, reproof. It's profitable for reproof. Reproof tells us what is wrong. So doctrine, the Bible is profitable for telling us what is right. It's profitable to tell us what is wrong. Correction is is to tell us how to get right. That makes sense, doesn't it? To correct. Our parents have corrected us throughout our lives, right? (laughs) Stop doing that. Back over on this path, this is what you need to be doing. This is how you need to be behaving as a young man or a young lady. Um, So the word of God is profitable for doctrine, for for, for reproof, for correction, and then instruction in righteousness. And instruction in righteousness tells us how to stay right. And I do have these things. Tells us what is right. Reproof tells us what is wrong. Instruction, in righteousness tells us how to stay right. And we'll get to that and we'll close with that thought. You know, God's word is sufficient to meet our every need. And I want us to think that way as a church. Now, sometimes we have the impression I don't have what I need. I don't have enough money. Or I don't have enough wisdom. Or I don't have enough expertise. I was talking to a father earlier today just about parenting and being a dad. And uh, I don't know if that man's in his 40s yet. He's close. But uh, we were talking about this. And at at this stage in life, you find that there are some things you don't know. You wish you knew. Am I failing at this? Um, And the word of God is what we need. No matter what your... Uh, way of life no matter what your livelihood or your income what kind of job you have no matter how, no matter how old we are no matter if you're a single mom or a single dad or whether you you've been married for 20 years or 50 years or whether you've been saved for 50 years or saved for two months the word of God is what we need uh, pastor some years ago talked to me and he asked me the question Seth what's a home run sermon? And, uh, you know, well, what is that? What, what is a home run sermon? Is uh, a home run sermon a sermon that's short? Is it a sermon that's long, the longer the better? I don't think so. Is it a sermon that's funny? Is it the clothing that we wear when we preach? It's, it, a home run sermon, maybe that's a, a sermon that's preached with passion. You know, you get the most passionate guy you can find. Maybe that's what a home run sermon is, or style, maybe enthusiasm. You know, if we were to go by some of those things, we could probably look in through a glass window at some guy, you know, and he's in there, he, the crowd is spellbound, and he's, he's pointing at them, and he's interacting with them, and he's, he's making gestures, and he's so intense, he's sweating, you know, and... And we say, wow, look at that guy. He's just preaching away. There's going to be a revival in that room. And we open the door and we walk in and we realize that he's selling timeshares. You know? So technique or communication doesn't necessarily, just communication ability doesn't necessarily make a sermon a home run sermon. Um, Again, home run sermon, what does that mean? I think if we were to say, what is a successful sermon? What is it that we need? I think it would be 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. A a sermon that is full of doctrine, telling us what is right. A sermon that includes reproof, telling us what is wrong. A sermon that includes correction, telling us how to get right. And a sermon that includes instruction in righteousness, telling us how to live right. That's that would be my prayer. That would be my goal that's what we ought to want. Uh, look at verse 17 of 2 Timothy chapter 3. He tells us in verse 16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's profitable for these things. And then in verse 17, he says this, that the man of God may be perfect. And the word perfect means mature, growing up, becoming stronger. Uh, today, I saw, saw Jack and Ryan and Ian all standing over here. And what a difference a year has made. They all have grown, I think, six inches to a foot, it seems like. They're all taller. And I looked over there and they were all talking to one another and I, it, it did my heart well. I was encouraged. Because I thought, you know what? There's some future leadership. There's some people who are going to do, who are going to lead and follow the Lord and do what is right. And I pray to that end for our young people. But the Word of God, it, 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 it causes us to mature and to grow up. God has given to us his word so that we can grow spiritually. And that's a blank, I think, in your handout. Grow spiritually and to be what we ought to be in Christ. We can be what God desires for us to be by the power of the word of God. God's word is sufficient for our every need. Matthew 4 and verse 4, Jesus said, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. God's word saves a life It brings salvation it nourishes it breaks habits that are wrong and it it gives life so in everything that we do our question should be what does the bible say what does the bible say about my friends what does the bible say about what i'm what i'm doing what i'm wanting to do what i'm thinking what what does the bible say everything in our lives should go through the filter of god's word so years ago when we bought the house where we're living it had this old pool and i've told you about this we had box turtles and snapping turtles and we had tadpoles galore i mean by the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds we had turtles we had tree frogs and bullfrogs and we had everything there it was filthy and uh It hadn't been used in multiplied years. And so we worked on it and worked on it, worked on it. Finally, we got it all fixed up. The water's blue. And uh, I can remember uh, talking to some of the pool ladies down here in Flushing on Cherry Street. And they do an awesome job there. Just giving good information. And uh, I was talking to them and they were telling me, this is what you need. You need, a, you need a pump, and you need a filter, and your pump has to be what size is your pool. I told them what, how many gallons my pool was. And they said, well, this is, this is this pump and filter will circulate all of the water in your pool through the filter so many times every 24 hours. And that will keep your pool nice and clean. You won't have frogs and tadpoles and things like that. Well, the Word of God is kind of like that filter. And when you and I put ourselves under the Word of God, The word of God filters through our thoughts, our ideas, our opinions, our feelings, our desires. And it filters through those things that are taking place in our lives in a very, very personal, intimate way. In a way that I could never go through all of your emotions and your feelings. I couldn't feel I couldn't possibly filter through through everything that you are thinking in a week. But every time we sit under the word of God, whether it's in Sunday school or Sunday morning or a Sunday night or a Wednesday night, or maybe in our personal time with the Lord on a daily basis, the word of God will will filter our fear through the word of God. And oftentimes it'll it'll take it away. Or he'll remind us that he'll never leave us nor forsake us. You see, God's word does these things. Joshua chapter one and verse eight says this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous and then and then thou shalt have good success. How many of us here would say, uh, you know, Pastor Seth, I want to be prosperous or I want to have I want to have success. You know, success is kind of a a word uh, that comes and goes. Everybody wants to be successful. You know, the word success only shows up one time in the entire Bible. And here it is. One time in the entire Bible. You know what it's connected to? The word of God. You want to be a successful parent? The word of God. You want to be a successful businessman before the Lord? The word of God. You want to be a successful leader of, of men or the people you're working with, the word of God? Do you want to have an influence upon the world? Do we want to have an influence upon the world in which we live in a way that would please and honor the Lord, the word of God? Uh, how do I work with somebody who is like this? Or how do I work with somebody who's like that? Or what about our marriage, the word of God, the word of God, it produces success. It makes our way prosperous. And not just in this life, which is very temporal, but for all of eternity. There are eternal results, eternal reward for obeying the word of God. Would you pray with me? Father, help us, I pray, to value your word. It seems as though that has been the emphasis of this day. Lord, some of us don't have, we don't have any plan during our week to open your word and look at it. And we say that we're busy, and we are. We say that we don't understand, and we do lack understanding. Um, Father, I pray that there would be some tonight who would follow the leading of your spirit and take time each day to open your word and read some. Father, I pray there would be others who would follow the leading of your spirit, and they would determine in their hearts, you know, I'm going to gather with the church. I'm going to hear. I'm going to lead my family to be under the word of God. Father, I guess I'm preaching to the choir tonight because we're here on a Sunday night. But Father, may this be so in our lives. God, we're entrusting ourselves to you. You have given us your word and your spirit. And you have left us here in this sinful world and in this flesh that is continually wanting to go astray. And, Father, we are telling you tonight that we want to honor you. We want to obey you. We recognize the authority of your spirit. We recognize the authority and power of your word. And, Father, we are saying that we will commit to honoring it and obeying it and desiring it. Father, may it be so. And I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. You are dismissed. Have a great evening.